technically true by tanay pan welcome to technically true a podcast about public speaking developer relations and technology i'm your host tanay today i'm joined by ian tian ian is the founder and ceo of matamos ian tell us a bit more about yourself Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Ian Tian. I'm the founder and CEO of Mattermost. We're an open source Slack alternative. So uh, we're, hey, we have all your messaging in one place, whether it's on web, desktop, uh, or mobile. We have continuous archiving, instant search, and unlimited integrations. Uh, very familiar sort of Slack key- keyboard shortcuts, uh, compatible web hooks with Slack, uh, works with different integrations. And you know we're great for folks that uh, want to be secure and on-prem and have everything in their own environments. We're great for DevOps teams that want to integrate and customize and extend their uh, messaging collaboration platforms. And, you know, Mattermost was, you know, really built in the, out of the open source community. And it was, you know, really pulled along by uh, large groups of people that really wanted to see this uh, sort of software and functionality exist. And, and sort of here we are today. So start as an open source project grew into a company and you know every day we're working hard to make the software and the platform better and better for our users our community and our customers that's awesome and i'm really curious to learn about how you build the initial community around mattermost so the community about mattermost really started around the open source project and you know it's around people trying out the early versions you know filing bugs wanting to make feature improvements um, contributing in different ways and what was really important for us was to be really thoughtful and responsive to that community, to have clarity on you know, how they could contribute and you know, how we would interact with them. I think um, one of the things that was so important in the early days was to have clarity on, well, what, what pull requests would we accept and which ones would we not? So we had, um, we never want uh, someone to contribute a pull request to Mattermost and really not have it accepted. That's not a good experience for, for anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and some open source projects are just kind of like, ah, just throw a pull request in, we'll review it, we'll think about it. And that, that was, we just didn't feel that was the right approach for us. What we did is instead we said, okay, we're gonna create tickets of all the things that will be accepted in the, into the repository. And before you go and do a pull request, you have to connect to a ticket. So before you actually write any code, there's a discussion that happens so that we know that the code's actually gonna be accepted so that people don't go and work on things that will, that will be you know, closed without merging. That feels like not great for us. So, you know, when we built that initial community, it's for folks that really like that approach who are saying like, well, I'll have a discussion about it and then I'll contribute something to it with clear guidelines, um, clear ticket, clear criteria. And you just kind of know with a greater level of confidence that it's going to be accepted and merged. And and that kind of community is the one that um, we've really fostered and developed. And it's worked really well for us uh, so far, thousands of contributors and of material difference that they've made to the project and the product and our company. That's great. And um, yeah, I was looking at Mattermost the other day on GitHub and it's, it's amazing to see how many contributions it has. So in terms of managing contributions on GitHub, how does your team manage that? Does your developer relations team take care of it? Is it the responsibility of the engineering team? Maybe they both handle that together. How does it look like? Yeah, I think that, you know, this this concept of developer relations for us being an open source company, it's, 
it's not like someone has the job title and you know that's the person that we delegate it to. Developer relations is a job for everyone in an open source community because there's developers that are contributing, whether you're um, a developer in-house, whether you're a product manager, whether you're in documentation, you know, we're all doing developer relations. Everything we do is uh, that, that's out in the community is really our brand, right? So how do we present ourselves? How do we um, react with people constructively? How do we create clarity? Everything we do is developer relations. So um, what, and over time, what happens is, you know, people will formally get that title when it's like, well, that's all they do, right? So, mm-hmm. so the developer relations is, you know, everyone's responsibility. And there's some people who are completely dedicated to it. And then, you know, it's, it's a wide range of, of uh, responsibilities, accountabilities. One is connecting with developer audiences. So our, you know, DevRel, um, our DevRel function is going to, like you, create podcasts and, you know, create content and blog posts, rally and, and, rec- and enlist, you know, folks from our community to contribute, enlist um, even our own developers to sort of create content and really to drive a high level awareness and, and also engage with, you know, some of those really key community members. So I would say that developer relations is everyone's job. And uh, we have a few folks that are gonna be purely dedicated to it. And, uh, and it's really, I think, a very dynamic and um, thoughtful system. Really it's about what's the, what's the priority for us to um, solve. So right now it's content and awareness. And as we think about you know, different priorities, that's how we sort of deploy that DevRel investment from the company. Got it. And speaking of GitHub contributions again, how do you make sure that contributors keep coming back? Like other than being super responsive and super clear about what contributions would be accepted, are there any other tactical steps that you have taken or your team has taken to make sure people keep coming back? So there's um, so great question. So how do we keep people coming back? There's, you know, the thing that's really important for us is that, you know, people are contributing for the right reasons. And a lot of reasons are going to, and the reasons vary. Some people just, they want to do a, they, they see, they, they were scratching niche. They want to do their morning brain teaser. And they kind of like, they'll take a small, easy ticket and kind of put it in and, and get it done. They feel good about that contribution. Some people want to learn. They want to learn Golang and React and Kubernetes and all these new technologies. And they want to learn it in a way that they're actually moving something forward as opposed to like a, a something they do off the side that's kind of throwaway they can actually contribute to an open source project. So learning is another opportunity. There's folks that actually want to contribute. And then there's folks that sort of want to fix their own issue, right? They're like, hey, that's a feature I really want. Let me go bang it out because like uh, I'm really passionate about it. And they actually scratch their own itch. So, you know, all those cases I mentioned, they, people may or may not come back. They have a goal and they may or may not want to do more. Now, if they want to do more, if the people do want to repeat and create more of a relationship and a cadence to their contributions, we welcome, we celebrate that. And one of the ways we do it was with an MVP award. So the most valuable professional every month we'll go out and we'll say like, we actually internally have an announcement and we say like, okay, who wants to nominate contributors for that MVP award? Names are put out, the number of, you know, pull requests they've done and, and contributions, there's discussion, there's voting. And you know, every month we have that, that most valuable professional, we send them a little physical reward and just saying like, hey, here's a little plaque. It's, it's about you know, really recognizing and elevating and appreciating you for all that you've done. And those are sort of the top MVPs and they become sort of a little bit of a role model and a um, high watermark for our community. So I think that in terms of getting folks engaged in different ways, it's one, we wanna make them achieve their goals and uh, celebrate their wins. 
whether they're one time or they're continuing. And the folks that do continue with us, we want to you know celebrate and elevate those. And as we as we kind of end this sort of in between phase is you know people just get to know our contributors, like our developers, our docs, our QA, all kind of get to know the different contributors out there in the community, um, engage them, have conversations. So all these ways add up to how we've been able to grow a, a sizable community and great relationships. And the, uh, but I'll tell you the one last one, the surest way to get a contributor to keep contributing is hire them to become a core maintainer of the project and join Mattermost as a staff member. That's great, great strategy, yeah. How do you take care of new contributors to the project? Like how does the onboarding process look like? Yeah, great question. Documentation is so important. Um, it's really just, you know, if you can create the documentation so that people don't have any more questions, like you've answered sort of all of them exhaustively, like that's the most important thing is people come in, they understand our coding style guidelines, they understand our ticketing process, they understand what it means to be a pull request. So lots of things, when you make a pull request for the first time, there's gonna be bots that check, hey, did you sign the CLA? Did you, did you do all the sort of right, you know, um, checks and balances? Uh, did you, did you, do you have a ticket that this is related to? right, that, that you're going to put this, uh, put this into. So there's a lot of documentation, also automation to create awareness. And the, the ultimate goal is we don't want people not making good use of their time, right? Their time is what they're contributing ultimately. And we want to make it very clear, easy to understand. We don't have automation in place. And what happens is, you know, at this first, it's kind of manual. You have people engaged, like, can you please add a ticket? Let me explain, read this link. And then it's just automated. It's like you hit this, okay, boom, like here's, you can't, you can't actually you know, create a pull request without reading all the instructions or contribution guidelines and, and, all the, and signing off on the CLA. So um, for the people that um, appreciate that clarity and that structure and knowing that they can get from A to B without a lot of um, sort of back and forth hassle, that's great. For people that don't really like our guidelines and they went to another open source project that does it differently, you know, that they're, they're going to naturally self-select out of the process. So what that creates is, you know, a community that's really aligned on expectations that operates in the same way that kind of has shared values, sh shared culture. And, you know, that's how we, you know, that is sort of the path to becoming a contributor in this specific open source project. So that's, uh, and then that's the way that we can do it, you know, time and time again and at scale. Makes sense. And you mentioned about transparency and clarity being some important values when you're interacting with the community. Would you say that it's important to lay out company values at the genesis of a community? Yeah, I think there's always uh, values at the, at, the, at the point of you know, all communities and companies. A company is a community in itself. And it's really just saying like, well, how do we behave, right? Like, you know, what is, how do we behave and what are the expectations? And whether it's from, you know, the code of conduct is pretty standard in a lot of organizations, you know, just being respectful and thoughtful and being here to build things and not for, you know, other sort of purposes. Like, um, so I think that, it, that code of conduct being really clear uh, is very important. Now these, what's happening in our community is different than our company values. We have company values like customer obsession and high impact and ownership and self-awareness. Um, those don't, as, as a contributor, you don't necessarily have to, you know, be part and parcel of what the company does. Uh, but I think that that concept of sort of um, good intention, of openness, of contribution, all the sort of merits of that, that open source ethos are, are sort of part and parcel of what it's like to contribute to Mattermost. I don't know if we have to do that much of a, we, we're not, probably not that much of a lift in terms of 
you know, new behaviors are looking for. We're just looking for sort of good people at open source. And uh, it's kind of game recognized game in, in terms of, you know, them being just the right kind of people to align with our processes and in how we do things. So um, that's really how we think about value. It's the natural open source sort of values and it's the code of conduct and it's being, you know, folks that want to contribute and participate. Right. And you mentioned like you have a lot of these guidelines around when it comes to contribution and uh, processes that are automated by maybe bots or checking of CLA. Um, how long before like all these systems were put in place or like what were the challenges to recognize like, okay, these are the things that we need to mention maybe in a documentation or automate. So yeah, curious to hear about your insights on that. Um, in terms of how long, I'm just kind of going back through our, uh, our, our like commit history here. I think that in terms of guidelines, we had it since sort of day one, right? And it starts with like, you know, how do you contribute, right? Contributing.md. Um, and over time it gets sort of longer and longer. And then we end up moving it out to like a separate website. It, it just, it just kind of gets longer and longer and longer and breaks out. Like everything kind of starts originally in, you know, the source control system. Ours was, was GitHub. Um, and, you know, it's turned out it's and contributing has moved from, you know, a, a doc, like a, a MD file to like a, a sort of website that walks you through everything from, um, how do you sign up to the Mattermost server and ask questions to our developers or contributors? You know, how do you how do you set up your developer machine? How do you select a ticket? You know, it's got all this documentation about how to get started, our Go style guidelines. You know, how to build out feature flags. You know, how our CLI works, um, and it's it's really just kind of it's like how you build a, a pyramid, sort of big, brick by brick. So early days, you just kind of lay the bricks. As you have more and more contributors, you add more and more and more, um, and eventually you have all the the documentation laid out. And what actually happens is, and the thing that carries it even further is when you're a company and the documentation becomes the developer onboarding. So mm-hmm. um, when you start working as a staff developer here, when you become a core committer to the Mattermost project, you've already gone through most of the onboarding for, for like running a machine, for doing builds, for, for all different pieces. Being open and transparent um, just makes it that much easier right? It'd be like, I can't, we can't go back, right? Like it's, it's bananas to imagine, oh, you hire someone. And then like on day one, they get like their machine and they like read through some internal documentation about how to set up their environment. Like that's just bananas for us. Like we, we couldn't like that just, I can't even conceive of what that would feel like. Right. It's the opposite. It's that if you want to work here, you can see all the dev setup. You probably have your personal machine set up to do the builds even before you join the company and you walk in your first day and you kind of like, you know, people, right. Cause you, there's the same people you w- worked with in the community, right. You've got your machine set up, you know, all the style guidelines. And it's just this, it's just a much better way to sort of onboard people if they can and, and onboard and hire the right people. They're opting in to the tech stack. They're opting into the process. They're opting in with sort of very, a great deal of transparency on how everything works. So, um, it starts with an MD file and ends up in a uh, end-to-end onboarding guide to be a, a, a core contributor. Um, and that's just, and in terms of like how fast we went, I actually don't remember. Um, I can just tell you the end, the start and the end points. And, and I love it. And I think if you're going to be an open core company, uh, this, is, this is the way to do it. I don't think there's another way you can do it. Yeah, yeah, inspiring stuff. Cool. And um, speaking about uh, maybe founders who are looking to uh, go around a similar route, 
what's a good time for companies to build out a DevRel team? I, as I understand, like everybody in the beginning of a company is probably all have these developer relation uh, mindset with them. But what's a good time to really start looking for that first hire? And I'm curious about what was that moment when you decided at Mattermost, okay, we are going to uh, make a first developer, dedicated developer relations hire. Yeah, I actually don't know. I remember that it was in one of the headcount plans and it just kind of made sense. I think my co-founder, Corey, kind of took care of it uh, or he made, he made the business case for it, which was, here's all the things we need to do. And these are all the people doing it in their part-time jobs, you know, and, and we have like enough capacity to go and make this a full-time job um, and then some. So I think it really came from that. It's like, hey, everyone's trying to, you know, do these, you know, brand bag talks and uh, sort of lunch and learns and webinars and uh, just having someone who's as opposed to taking a slice of all the different developers and slice of all these other folks. And sometimes they get busy and they can't, they can't get things in um, at the pace that we would like them to happen. Uh, that's kind of the time for DevRel, which is like, okay, you can take, you, you, you have to do developer relations. Do you want it to be a slice of like the time of 18 people and a little bit more, you know, organic and, and unoptimized? Or do you wanna, cause you can't, it's hard to give them targets, right? Or do you mm -hmm. want to take someone at, take someone who says, hey, this is your full-time jobs developer relations and say, hey, here's the list of things we want you to accomplish by this quarter and this quarter and this quarter. I think that's kind of the time when you have that list and you're, um, and you're not seeing, you're not like where DevRel and spe a specific list of things are really important to do and you can't get that by time slicing um, other folks at the company. I think that's the time to, to really invest in developer relations. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. And um, any advice to founders who are going out there making their first hire? What should the persona of this first hire look like? You know, they say that advice is personal experience generalized. <laughs> um, and my personal experience is really to trust um, my, my co-founder and CTO, Corey Hewlin. And when he says it's the right time, it's like, okay, then it's the right time. It's... Um, and it's really that that sort of load balancing and that checklist. And when you know the things that developer relations uh, need to do become strategic and part of your plan and part of the needle movers, then you know that's the time to invest from from a sort of strategy level. And then it's really you know Corey is at least giving talks. He's flying around Europe. He's flying around conferences. You know at least you know in sort of 2019 he was. <laughs> um, and it's just really you know his it's his input is probably more of a of an eight or a nine and my inputs may be like a three or a four. So, you know, go with, listen to the people who are experts and, and deep in the field. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Ian, thank you so much for joining us. It was a pleasure having you in the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was a really fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And thank you all for tuning in. We'll see you next time. You have been listening to Technically True, a podcast about public speaking, developer relations and technology. Hosted and produced by Tanepan.